as a freelancer, I do have a, I have a bit of a luxury of being able to say, is this a brand that will be in line with my creative vision? Am I going to be able to solve their problem in a way that it makes me happy and makes them happy? Welcome to Refilmery. We are a film and photography production company in New York, and each week we turn the microphone on our fellow creatives and the brand leaders that we produce films for to find out why they make their films and also how they use storytelling to reach their audiences. My name is David Joshua Ford, and I'm the executive director of Refilmery. My guest today is Graham Hill, a freelance creative director at the agency Hush. With over 13 years' experience spanning film titles, branding, book design, large-scale interactive installations, music videos and commercials, Graham is as comfortable in the director's chair as he is kerning logo types. No matter the project, his approach remains the same to find the core of the problem and create a visceral, visually compelling solution, touching both the heart and the brain. Graham dropped by Refilmery this week to share with us his experience executing interactive installations. We talk about his flat leadership hierarchy and how that influences the production process. He tells us how to stay on brand to deliver a compelling story while also meeting the needs of the campaign. And he also shares strategies of how to bring together the various personalities of your creative team. Another thing that we discuss with him is personal branding. When you have so much varied creative content on your reel, how do you create what you present when networking with clients? And also on your website, do you include everything or only the projects that reflect the direction in which you want to take your career? Here's my discussion with creative director Graham Hill. Graham, welcome to Reformery Series. It's great to chat with you. You've got a quite an extensive 13-year career as a creative director. You're currently freelancing at Hush and you've previously been at Be Real and freelanced with Opperman Weiss and Deep Local, Momentum Worldwide. Your, your role is as a creative director. What does your particular tasks involve in that? Well, over, over the course of my career, I've done, I've done a lot of different types of jobs. So as I go around to different places and work on different types of projects, my role varies quite a bit depending on the size of the team, the type of, um, the type of product that I'm making. Um, but generally as a creative director, the way that I see my role is to keep track of the overall creative vision of the project, make sure that the client's needs are being met and also the place where I'm working that our needs are being met creatively. So solving the goals of the company where I'm working and also the goals of the client. And then also ideally the, uh, my own creative goals as well. Yeah. What are your creative goals? Like what, what is it that I guess got you into this career as a creative director and what keeps you fueled up? Well, I think the interesting thing is that my creative goals have evolved dramatically over time. The reasons that I got into this field of advertising and design has changed quite a bit. Um, so originally I, um, the, my avenue into this was through graphic design, mm -hmm. um, specifically uh, T-shirt design. So the, my first awareness of, of graphic design was actually through graphics on T-shirts. Yeah. So when I was growing up in the early 90s, the T-shirts like um, No Fear and Stussy and Massimo were really popular. And I remember taking note of those and a growing awareness of those and... 
Um, so did you make some of your own in the early days and sketch those out? So I did. I did. I came, I came up with uh, my own t-shirt brand, yep. designed some terrible logos for them, <laughs> and uh, even, researched, uh, even researched embroidery companies. Never, never did anything with them, but that was sort of my first, my first foray into graphic design. Yeah. You've got a lot of mediums. You're a filmmaker, graphic designer, art director. How did you move from t-shirts and graphic design into those other mediums? It was it was interesting. It was a it was sort of a gradual process, and I think it all. Um, I guess I was I've thought I was thinking about this recently. Actually, it. I think a lot of it was really a result of me being thrown into various situations and being asked to do things I had no idea how to do and being in situations that were small enough where that I was the only one who could actually do them yeah, because there wasn't a specialist there to do it and learning through the process of just kind of fumbling around and yeah. figuring it out. What was the, the challenge in taking on a, the title creative director? Cause that's, it's quite a broad title and it's a, it's a big title. So mm-hmm. What hurdles or personal growth did you have to undertake to be able to move in the leadership of that role? I think for me, something that I continue to to work on and continue to focus on is being able to um, trying to realize that my job is not necessarily to focus on every little tiny detail of the execution, but my job is to more focus on the larger picture and to trust that the people who are working on my team are really good at what they do and they really care about the project. And my focus is primarily on that overall creative vision, but also on making, on trying to help everybody on the team make the best work that they can make and making sure that they're engaged, making sure that they're feeling creatively fulfilled. And um, it's a lot more dealing with people. So on that note, what sort of team culture or environment do you like to build? I, I like to, I like to build generally a fairly flat situation with not a lot of hierarchy. Um, I like to build, I tend to like to ask a lot of questions. I don't like to dictate that much. Mm -hmm. I like to try to have more of an open flowing environment where people feel comfortable proposing ideas, sharing their thoughts and, um, really a situation where they feel safe making, making the work that they want to make. Obviously there has to be some limits to that, but I like to try to make sure that everybody's engaged and feeling like they're contributing. So in a flat leadership environment or team environment, how do you, if you if people have different creative ideas or directions, how do you um, navigate those personalities and bring the the project forward? It's uh, it's tricky sometimes, but I think it really comes down to the people that you have on your team, and if you have an an open environment where you all are working toward a common goal and you all want to make the best product possible then you, I think those things naturally resolve themselves through conversation, mm-hmm. especially with the type of work that I'm doing now. So the, the type of work that I've been doing for 
the past little bit on and off past few years off and on uh, are interactive installations. So in doing projects like that, you have so many disciplines that are coming together and so many dramatically different areas of expertise yeah. that people need to sort of trust the, the knowledge of their team members because they don't necessarily have that same knowledge base. So it's not like you have a team full of graphic designers who are arguing about kerning or the Pantone color that should be selected. You have an architect talking to a graphic designer. And yeah. when the architect's going to talk about structural integrity, the graphic designer is going to need to kind of listen to that a little bit and say, well, maybe I should change what I'm doing because this wall shouldn't fall down. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about the installation that you're working on at the moment? Right now, I probably should not talk about that, <laughs> you know, NDAs and all that stuff, but I can talk, I can talk to you a little bit about, um, the process or, yeah, I can talk to you a little bit about the process in general of, of working yep. on an interactive installation as, um, so generally the way that these project uh, interactive installations run a very wide range and they can be, um, they can be something as small as a, um, a small object that mm -hmm. would be for a two night event, or it can be something that can be up for several months outdoors, or it can be something that's even permanent. In so a, in broad terms, what would the client objective be in a installation? Um, that also varies quite a bit. And it's actually the questions that you're asking are actually something that the companies who are working in this space are actively trying to define because mm -hmm. it's sort of, um, it's not it's not clearly defined it can it can mean a broad okay. variety of things the way that i tend to define it is in general terms an interactive installation is something that is uh, that's human scale it's something that combines architecture and uh interactive digital technology in some way yep. so you have a physical form that's static that interacts with that creates a space and then you have um an interactive digital component as well. So it can be as simple as an array of screens mounted on a wall, or it can be as complex as a sculptural form that has lights embedded into multiple faces of it. What do you enjoy as the architect of that about the physical space that you're able to create and, and converging all of those mediums, as opposed to say like a, a, a digital strategy that's rolled out across the web or video or something like that? The thing that I, that I find really most interesting about this type of work as opposed to a lot of the other types of work that I've done, which may have maybe inter encountered in a variety of mediums. Like you make a, you make a music video or a commercial and somebody could look at it on their phone, on a giant screen, yeah. in a theater, all sorts of places. With this, you know where somebody's going to be physically. And even more than that, if you have the chance to, to test, you can watch people interact with the thing that you made yeah. and you can test your assumptions. And to me, that's the most fascinating thing is that you can theorize all day long. You can have your opinions and you can say, this is going to work. This is absolutely going to work. And then you can stand in a space and be proven completely wrong just because somebody walks in and does something that you didn't expect <laughs> at all. I imagine there would be some of the feedback loop that you would get from a theater as opposed to a, a cinema. Would that be right? Like the people in the actual space and they're, yeah, the energy yeah. and the personalities of each people that come in there. Yeah, yeah, very similar to that. Even I would say even more, um, even more 
concrete and simple than that because you can say for example if you make something on a screen and you want somebody to push the circle that you made in the center of the screen yeah and you can say i don't need to put anything on that circle it's a big red circle in the middle of the screen people are absolutely going to know that they need to push that and then you can put that up on a screen <laughs> watch people walk in and not push it <laughs> and like be very confused and try to touch other places yeah over the number of installations that you've worked on over the years, would you see a recurring theme in particular challenges for that art form in getting an exhibition space set up and, and bringing all of those different teams together? So I've been fortunate because as a, in, in certain ways I've been fortunate because as a freelancer, I typically come into a situation when the at least the skeleton of a team is assembled. So I already, I'm usually already surrounded by a few key collaborators who are really, really good at what they do and I can rely on them. And then I work with them to help assemble uh, the, all the other components of the team. Um, that, uh, that has, I mean, that's always a challenge getting the right people in place on a team, but I would say for this, no more so than really any other. I think it's always really difficult to find good people who are smart and really care about what they do. Yeah. Tell me about some of the other art forms that you work with. I know you do a bit of photography and um, do you also do drawing or like what other aspects of graphic design? I, um, I do, I do a little bit of photography for fun. I do. I've done a little bit of live action direction. Um, I've done a little bit of um, amateur cinematography I still, I mean, even though I wouldn't consider myself a graphic designer anymore, I still am a giant typography nerd, mm -hmm. love type. <laughs> um, and I love graphic design. It still, it still excites me. Yeah. And um, I always get a little bit confused when people ask me what I do outside of work because okay. I feel like there's not... A lot of your life is focused around it is kind that of. creative process. Yeah, it is kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I enjoy trying to make things as much as possible um yeah but what yeah. is it that you in in your personal work i guess particularly what do you find yourself wanting to express like what, what are the sort of stories that you that you focus on and that you are drawn to um right now well so in my in my personal work i'm currently working on um, two short documentaries and that's really the type of work that I feel most drawn to outside of my day job. And the thing that I really like about those is that I'm, I'm interested in telling really personal individual stories, stories about people who exist sort of in an area that is outside of mainstream culture, people who most of society would look at and think are a little bit odd or a little bit strange and I'm interested in telling their stories in a way that humanizes them and in a way that that really presents them so the audience can see themselves in that person and understand that they're really not that different than so the person who they uh, initially thought was very... Empathy building? Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of... Yeah, a lot, a lot of it is about empathy. I think okay. empathy is really important. Again... I think empathy is a tricky word <laughs> because it's also very, it's very, it's getting a little trendy right now. It's getting a little buzzwordy, but at just its, like storyteller, just like storyteller. <laughs> exactly. But at its core, the, 
the intent of it and the meaning of it is great. I guess there's also like compassion and that kind of stuff built in into that. It's true. It's true. Um, I think of, I mean, now we're getting, a, I guess, a little into semantics yeah. slightly, but my opinion on that as somebody who's not a linguist would, um, would be that I think empathy is more about, um, more about seeing yourself in somebody else and identifying with an emotion yeah. where I think is compassion. Uh, I think of compassion as being more a matter of, um, having a, um, feeling something for somebody else, but not necessarily identifying or with acting what on they're, it. or, well, I don't know. Do you think empathy, do you think empathy has action built know. into I mean, it? To me, I feel like, I mean, yeah, this is semantics, I guess, but yeah. I feel like <laughs> compassion is, uh, something that's a bit more active than something like sympathy, you know? So I guess in that, like what we were talking before about you're drawn to stories that Mm -hmm. involve outliers. Mm -hmm. Is that because you see sort of um, dramatic potential in those stories or are there instances in your own life where, you know, either you've been the outlier or you've been able to identify with, you know, real people who have been the outlier and sort of felt that compassion to either draw them in or share their story. I think it well it's interesting because I think it absolutely has nothing to do with seeing dramatic potential in something and it has everything to do with me being drawn toward those types of stories. Yeah. As far as the the motivation for that or the reason to why the reason why I'm drawn to those types of stories, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't explored <laughs> That's that. That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't explored that. I mean, I've, it, your, your theory sounds great. I think, <laughs> I, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I do like to, I do like to talk to random people that I meet and I've have had experiences where I have very quickly felt empathy for somebody who I initially perceived in, in one way. And it's possible that it, that that motivation stems from those yeah. experiences that I had. But I think it's really, I think empathy can be a really powerful tool in addressing some, um, in addressing prejudices sure. that people have. To what degree do you find yourself storytelling behind the scenes? So there's so much, you put together an exhibition or an installation, and that's kind of the, the tip of the iceberg that goes into the rationale that develops it there. So in what way are you storytelling day to day with the client, with the agency and trying to build up a, um, I guess a a final presentation or artistic presentation of what is the, the broader story? Yeah. For, for me, it's interesting because at at the beginning, at the beginning of my career, the way that I tended to work in the places where I tended to work, um, worked as well was we would make a bunch of different options and we would be like, here's option a, B, C, D, E, like even showing 20 different options for one, for one project. Mm-hmm. And we present those to the client and say, here, here are 20 options. What do you like? And invariably, of course, which I'm sure you're familiar with this, they would say, 
Uh, we like option A, but with a little bit of option C and combined <laughs> with option L. And, it becomes a big mess. <laughs> yeah, and you would come, come back and hand it to, you know, get handed to me and they'd be like, here, combine these. Um, the way that that I think is much more effective to work is to focus more on story, like you're mm-hmm. saying, to really, I, I look at it really as leading someone down a path and making assumptions, testing those assumptions, taking another step forward, testing that um, on a macro scale throughout the course of, of a project, but also on a micro scale in terms of one presentation. So I find it much more effective to build a presentation that presents a problem, builds an argument, proposes a solution, and shows an execution. And in a way that makes the answer seem inevitable. Yeah. So it's less about what do you like, and it's more about this is the solution to the problem. And obviously you can talk about whether that solution is appropriate or whether it answers their needs, but ideally it would be something that seems that seems it, it seem would seem like there's no other solution. Yeah. Can you tell me how you handle the situation of needing to stay on brand for a project alongside the, the story that you want to tell? And cause you know, there's, there's some installations, I guess, or films or whatever they are that on a person to person level, work better in one way and you as a creative you want to just kind of make this thing that's going to be really relatable but you also within that when it's a client project you need to be bringing in their brand and their message and sort of steering people towards those two goals yeah it's it's a good question it's something that um that i've thought about quite a bit and i think at the first the first point at which you need to address that is at the point at which you're asked to take on a project. And so as a freelancer, mm. I do have a, I have a bit of a luxury of being able to assess a project and from the outset say, is this a brand that will be in line with my creative vision? Am I going to be able to solve their problem in a way that it makes me happy and makes them happy? Yeah. If I do determine that, then I think that there's actually quite a bit of range within most, most brands. And there's a, there are any number of solutions to a problem. And my, my goal is to pick the solution that I think is most appropriate. And one thing that I try to think about and keep in mind is why, why me? Like, what am I bringing to this project that nobody else would bring to this project? So you're almost like auditioning yourself for the role. Yeah, in a in a way, in yeah. a way, I think. Yeah, and I think. I mean, there. You know, like I said, there. It this sort of came with the realization that there is not one right solution for for a problem. Mm-hmm. I used to try to guess what the client would want and do solutions that would make them happy, and I got good at that. But then I took a step back and looked at my body of work, and I said, "This doesn't represent me at all. I don't. I don't care about this. I'm just answering their needs in the way that's going to make them." that I think is going to make them the most happy rather than saying what's my particular point of view on their problem. Mm -hmm. How can I solve it in a way that I'm happy with and a way that makes them happy? Yeah. So when, when you look at your website and your, your real, your body of work now, and I guess almost like a little 
carton of eggs. You know, you've got all these little um, memories and thumbnails that you've lined up. What do you feel towards that? Are, are they works that you're you're proud of or, or not just proud of, but like do, that you feel like represent a piece of you or is it more just like these are some really great work for a whole bunch of different clients? It's hit and miss. It's, it's tough. I mean, as a, as a creative, I think I have the same problem that a lot of people have is that you're always dissatisfied with your work. So I look at it and I feel like it's all over the place and that's my initial reaction. And then I look at it a little bit more closely and I can see there, there, there's successes within it, within every project. There are things that I'm happy about within every project, things that I learned in every project. Um, and so I think that, um, that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I'm, I learned a lot from it. It's less a, I see it less as a collection of, of products that I made and more as a record of things that I learned yeah. and more of a record of process. So your, your website and I guess also how you present yourself online, are you consciously aware of building a personal brand? Is that something you think about or is it more just like, these are my top works and I'm going to put up the, you know, the, the biggest brands or the things that look the flashiest, or is there a certain culling and curation that goes into like, no, no, these are the type of stories that most represent me, the the future of what I want to projects that I want to work on. Yeah, absolutely. I think okay. that's, that's critical. And I didn't, I didn't do that for quite a while, but I realized that that was really important. I needed to communicate. Uh, I need to communicate what type of work I wanted to do and what I was about through the work that I showed on my site and how I showed it. Okay. So one thing that I thought about a lot was that people, people really don't read mm-hmm. and people don't look at websites for very long. So I wanted to communicate a feel and a vibe to people in, if they only looked at my site for five seconds, they would have a feeling. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's a very minimal goal, but <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my, that was my goal with the current site that I have now. Having said that, I made that maybe five years ago and a few more things to add to it. Definitely more things to add to it, but I also want to present myself in a different way. Now. Yeah. And I, again, I'm looking back at it and like, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I could have done that better. So how would, how would you describe your personal brand to someone? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because like what I find so hard about that is like there's an element of which someone walks in the door and you're like, sure, I can make something for you. You need something made, I'll make it. But then what actually goes up onto the website at the end of the day and, and the way in which you present yourself and when you're networking, the way that you speak to people about the particular things that interest you, like mm-hmm. there's two sort of different things there. There's the sort of realistic economy of um, what happens day to day and then there's the what you have more of a hand and control over and where you're able to guide your own career. Right. So then, so the question would be, um, how do I talk about myself? Yeah. Like how would, how would you describe, I mean, you're, you're a creative director. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's, there's many people have that title. So, (laughs) so what's your unique flavor of creative director? It's, it's a good question, I think. And it's a completely context, 
reliant question. Mm -hmm. So I will, I will describe myself differently depending on who I'm talking to and I'll gauge the audience. Mm -hmm. If I'm talking to somebody that I meet on the street, who's like, Oh, what do you do? I'll say, I work in design and advertising. And generally, if you say creative director, design and advertising, people kind of have a general idea. If I'm talking about to somebody within the industry who works in advertising, I'll say I'm a creative director, but I work in sort of an unusual area of advertising. I work on primarily interactive installations. And um, I think it's also something that I need to continue to refine yeah. as well because <laughs> it's tricky. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it is something that, that evolves over time. So what are the things coming up that you're excited about or the, the different forms that you're wanting to explore, experiment, play with? I, the thing that I'm, one thing I'm really interested in, I mean, immediately I'm excited about finishing up this, this installation that I'm working on mm-hmm. right now. And then there's another one on the horizon that it's a, that's about to start. That's uh, an even larger scale. It's another permanent installation that um, has an element of social good to it, which is nice. Cool. And I'm excited about getting going on that. I really need to finish up these two short documentaries that that I've been working on, and um, and I'm excited to get those just out into the world. I, I don't know yet what I'll do with them. I just want to get the stories out yeah. and that in itself motivates me that I don't have a plan that I just feel strongly enough about these stories that yeah. I just want to make them. You've got that drive there to, yeah. to yeah, go yeah. find it. <laughs> I, I mean, I got to have the drive in place to finish them. But. <laughs> <laughs> Good cool. Um, so where can people go to find your, your website or Twitter, that kind of stuff to connect? Um, my work is on hello, Um, and uh i don't use i don't use twitter that often actually um i don't use it really either i just have it and it's kind of one of those things that (laughs) i don't know it's an identifier a handle or something (laughs) yeah yeah do you use instagram or instagram yeah instagram i use um i use that fairly regularly um and i am graham with three three a's i think g-r-a-a-a a H A M, I think. All right. I got cre- I got creative the other night and I was like, I want to change it. <laughs> well, Graham Hill, I'm sure if people Google you, you'll come up. Thanks for Although there is yeah. another one here in the city. Oh, is there? There is. There's <laughs> a an- double gang walking around somewhere. There is and he works sort of in tech, and I've okay. been mistaken for him before. And I recently accosted him in the middle of a meal because yeah. i saw him sitting there and it's <laughs> like you're graham hill i'm graham hill that's that's why i use my middle name because like there's, yeah. there's so many david fords around yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty common yeah i gotta do that too yeah cool man great to chat with you yes and um i'm looking forward to seeing you next week work excellent thank you and that's our show for the week At Refilmery, we believe that everyone has the ability to tell their own story. That's why we've created this monthly series of film screenings, networking events, parties and production workshops in New York to help connect you with the people and the ideas that you need to bring your own story to life. So visit refilmery.com slash series to join our mailing list and we will keep you up to date on our events. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, you can help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. Get them to subscribe by searching Refilmery in iTunes or Google. 
My name's David, and I'll be back next week with more insights into the life of a filmmaker.